59, thermometers versus thermostats, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, September 16, 1973. The text is taken from Philippians 4, the 4th through the 9th verses. the word of God this morning as it is found in Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi, which is also the word of God to the Christians of Bakerstown. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, do. And the God of peace will be with you. An individual once approached James Abbott Whistler, that famous 19th century English painter, asking for help in the hanging of a new and beautiful painting. His problem was simply this, no matter where he placed the painting in the room, it just didn't seem to fit. Mr. Whistler looked the situation over, and immediately he knew the problem. And he said to his inquiring friend, he said, you're going at this all wrong. You're trying to work from the back forward. You can never make this painting fit into this room. You must make this room fit the painting. You know, as I thought about that, I came to the realization that that just might be the reason that so many churches today are being concerned about lack of membership and attendance at worship and why so many Christian people feel frustrated in not being able to have that power and that peace 
that Jesus says should be in our lives. Just maybe the problem comes from the fact that we're going at it all wrong. That instead of trying to make Jesus fit into our little world, we should begin to realize that the world must change to fit the pattern of Christ. That we, as individuals who are a part of the church and bear the name Christian, that we should become more like thermostats than we are thermometers. That's an odd way, or perhaps a new way, of trying to put at the same problem, but what I'm trying to tell us is that perhaps we had better be a little bit careful in trying to get Christ to conform to the world when Christ came to transform the world in his own image. When in trying to win people for the church and for the kingdom of God and help them to find life, we realize that we cannot minimize Christ and the church to meet the needs of a particular pygmy, but that our responsibility is to get people to change to become like Christ. You get Christ to fit into the world. You get the world to change to fit Christ. But so many of us follow the what I call thermometer psychology instead of the thermostatic psychology. It's natural, I guess, in this day of fads and trends and when the popular thing is to do what everybody else is doing, whether it be in the area of athletics, education, or even religion. You know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? A thermometer has only the power to record and reveal and reflect the temperature of the environment about it. Whether it is hot or cold, no matter what the temperature, all the thermometer can do is reflect that temperature. Now a thermostat is different. It has all of the characteristics of a thermometer plus one enormously important factor. And that is what we call the element of control. You see, a thermostat not only records the temperature of its environment, but if that temperature does not correspond to the particular standard which has been set on the thermostat, the thermostat has the ability to call in on apparent but potent forces which can do something about that temperature to either raise it or lower it until the environment outside conforms to the standard of the thermostat. My own particular concern in these great days of change is that we do not go overboard and become thermometric instead of thermostatic. In our psychology concerning the church, concerning Christ, and concerning our own Christian lives, 
And I personally think that there's a great tendency towards that particular goal in today's world. Sometimes I, I really think that we, by trying to get everybody into the kingdom, we have tried to make Christ conform to the image of this world instead of inviting people to be transformed into Christ's world. You know, it used to be that the church and the Christian had some pretty high standards. I do not make you to presume that standards are, are still not a part of the church or the Christian, but maybe we have made a mistake in lowering them too far. I'm sure some of you can remember that before you could become a member of the church, you, you had to attend regularly for a long period of time. You, you had to know something about your Bible, and you could be examined by the official board or the session of the church as to your Christian experience. And once you became a member of the church, you were expected to be regular in attendance at worship and at church school. And people join this church, and I don't see them for months later. And that's happening all over. You know, it used to be that a church was expected to be in business and to offer worship and educational experiences 52 Sundays out of the year. But somewhere, somehow, we have gotten the idea that in summertime, people don't have to go to worship, and we close down the church schools. Where did we ever get such an idea? The world. So we conform to the image of the world instead of conform to the image of Christ. To be constant in and out of season to preach the gospel in all of its clarity and power. To to get people to set their standards upon the image of Christ instead of upon each other. You know, it used to be that you could tell a Christian, maybe not just by looking at him or his dress, but at least by listening to him and what he said and where he went and what he did. Today you can talk to somebody and only then later, through his own confession, do you find that he is a Christian and you shake your head in wonderment. All churches have been going through this period of change, not only the Presbyterian and other Protestant churches, the Roman Catholics, the same. I'm sure that the 60s will go down in the 20th century as being the period of change. For ten years now we have been hearing, you've got to change to be able to meet the people of the day. You've got to change the program of the church if you're going to meet the young people of today. Sometimes we change the worship hour, we change the dress of the clergy, we, we, we change different types of programs. Now, I'm not all against all of these, as some of you might think, change if it is real is good, but change for the sake of change to conform, I'm against. And in the process, I think that 
Sometimes we have changed the message and the emphasis and the standard upon which the church of Jesus Christ was founded by God when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So to conform to the attitude of the community, and churches don't talk about sin, but rather about individuals' maladjustments. We emphasize the love of Christ, which is great, but sometimes we forget the law of God. And the process by which God set down through Christ a person can be saved is substituted for matters which really can be handled only by people who are already saved and know the importance of their salvation in confronting the social gospel, not the other way around. And we get into a period, as I read the statistics of the 60s, and I invite you to do so, some of these institutions that were changing so rapidly and so completely, you know, some of them don't even exist today. And surprisingly, those particular institutions, which were willing to change but not to conform, they were willing to preach the message that man through Christ can be transformed. Those institutions that many people ten years ago would said, said they would die by the 1970s if they didn't change. They're still in there today. It's too early to judge. Only history over the centuries can do so. But the point I'm trying to make is that, ladies and gentlemen, though times change, please remember that the basic nature of man never changes. There are basically three types of people that can be encompassed within all of the world. First of all, there are those honest people who intend to do good, and by golly, they do it. Then there are those particular knaves who intend to do bad or evil, and by golly, they do it. But the largest group in this particular classification of today's world is, as it has always been, comprised of two subgroups. The first are people who want to do wrong but do right simply because the standards have asked them to do right. And secondly, the individuals who want to do right but do wrong simply because the standard does not require more of them. That's the way we are. Expect nothing from someone, and that's exactly what you'll get. Expect something from someone, and you'll get it. Set the standards high. Let's not conform. But let's not be afraid to make sure that we are preaching the gospel, attending the church, 
realizing that we're here to transform the world, not to be conformed to it. Not only have we got to get rid of this thermometer psychology, but also I think we've got to get rid of this thermometer philosophy, which seems to be rampant, and take on the teaching of the thermostat. The thermometer, you see, is an individual who confronts every problem and every situation and says basically the same thing. Whatever cannot be cured must be endured. Whatever cannot be cured must be endured. And with this particular philosophy in your life, you look at a loved one or at a friend or at an individual who is maybe merely an acquaintance. And you see him or her literally drowning himself or herself in what is still considered to be the worst drug problem in the world. Drowning in alcoholic drink. You see it forming all sorts of tragedies. But what can I do? This philosophy says, merely shrugs its shoulders, puts on a new face, thinks it's its, its cross to bear, and continues on through life, realizing that which cannot be cured has to be endured. Or we see some young people who we not only think but we know are popping pills or smoking weed. We say, what are we going to do? It's a sign of times. This is what young people do today to try to find themselves. What can I do? And we take the attitude, what cannot be cured has to be endured. Or we see some particular relationship made between a husband or a wife. There's no communication. What once was respect now has turned to fear. Once, what once was love now turns to hate. And someone who feels trapped in life and wants to get out of that situation doesn't, but yet has no particular hope for a cure, and merely continues in his or her life, endure what they think cannot be cured. And this particular philosophy gets absolutely no one anywhere. The philosophy of the thermostat, you see, is much different. It starts from the premise, what cannot be endured must be cured. And it takes that particular position that some of these situations in life are not impossible. That yes, though some things are impossible with men, there is absolutely nothing impossible for God. And they begin to put the confidence not in their own limitations, but in the power of God. 
And they begin to believe that no one, nowhere, has to be completely hopeless or helpless. That God is still alive today in the world, still working, and he's still trying to cure the world of its problems, even yours. It doesn't look at the alcoholic as though he or she is a hopeless person, but rather he or she looks and prays to that prays about that particular person with the idea that somehow, some way, God can still cure that person. It looks to the youth of today, and it realizes that many, many, far in the majority, are better off than perhaps the minority that we see and we hear and we read about. But even those individuals whom we are so frustrated with when we try to commune and communicate with them. Even those people, though they may seem hopelessly lost to us, God hasn't given up on them. And relationships that exist between people, I don't care how far two people have grown apart, I still believe that God has the power to bring back in new beauty, in new creativity, in new harmony, a love and a peace that passeth all understanding. But how many of us have that thermometer's philosophy in our life instead of the thermostatic philosophy. We feel as though there's no element of control that can cure that which we find so hard to endure. You see, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm trying to say, I guess, in so many words is simply capsuled in this idea that some of us had better begin to realize our role here in life. Why it is that God has chosen us, and it is to transform the world with the message of Jesus Christ. That we are the disciples who, like the disciples of old, are commissioned and were commissioned to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And like the disciples of old, we turn the world upside down, making it upright for the first time in a long period of years. But you see, we can't do that unless we're thermostats instead of thermometers, because you see, the basic difference between the thermostat and the thermometer is that the thermometer is not attached to anything. You can hang it upon the wall, you can put it on the door. You can put it here, you can put it there, and really it will do its function. But a thermostat, you see, you just can't put it anywhere. You have to firmly secure it to something, and the connecting pieces, be they wires or be they chains, they must connect to the source of power. And if a thermostat has no connection to the source of power, it's not a thermostat. Thermostat is merely a thermometer. Now you see, our sources of power are spelled out to us in the Word of God. 
unless we know the word of God, who we are, and whose it is that we are to serve, we are going to be people that instead of moving mountains with faith, we're going to be tripping over ant hills of despair. If we don't learn how to get at the throne of grace and to present the world to God as his particular arena that needs transformation, and unless we realize that power can come to us through prayer and that we are the instruments that God is going to work through to transform this world, we're never going to become the people nor the world that God intended us to become. This is a sermon for a wowing experience because in my own personal belief, Bakerstown Church is on the threshold of a great breakthrough. Some of you have heard me talking about this for some time, but I believe it with all of my heart. God has richly blessed us here in this community, and for some reason that I cannot understand, through my predecessors and through your predecessors, this church, for some reason or other, has been touched and tapped by the hand of God. Now, that's a frightening experience to me. I don't know what it means to you. But as the scripture says, it's a frightening thing to be in the hands of the living God. We're there, ladies and gentlemen, and we've been given a great responsibility. And our responsibility is that which is given to every church and to every Christian. And that is not to conform to the world, but to transform the world. Not to try to get this church or her Christ to fit into the world, but to allow the world to be transformed by Christ. Now, how are we going to do it? We're going to do it only with the help of God, and only with the help of each one of us. You've heard Mr. Bruder's announcement concerning the Spiritual Life Conference. Some of you this afternoon are going to receive calls in your home asking you to take particular notice, not only in your prayer life and in your calendar life, but also in your invitational life of asking other people to come to this particular place. All for one reason, and that is to help us and God to transform the world. Please, people, let's not fumble the ball this time. Let's not just stand back and merely reflect the attitude and the temperature and the excitement that's going to be happening this fall and this winter through our Academy for Christian Growth and through all of the things with which God seems to be blessing this church. Now don't be a thermometer. Become a thermostat. Not only in your personal psychology and philosophy, but with the power that God has given unto you. As I still live by that old adage, I don't care how small or little an individual is, when he combines with the power of God, he's never a minority. 
He's always on the joint. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've brought us to a great moment of history. Not one of us is here because we planned to be here. We're here because of your direction, your providence, and your guidance. We're here because you need us. Father, help us to see who we are. And because of the responsibility thou hast placed upon us, give us the courage to assume that responsibility Help us to go out, not with fear and trembling. Help us not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Help us to stand firm in the conviction which you have given us through Jesus Christ. And may we in this moment realize that we are at